Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Inside the Oscars. I'm Ginger Z, and this is ABC's first ever podcast about the Oscars. Now, on the TV side, we've been bringing Hollywood's biggest night into living rooms across America since 1976. And in that, there have been more than a few groundbreaking and unforgettable moments. The first time I didn't feel it, but this time I feel it. And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. That one still comes to mind, right? Sally Field's acceptance speech from 1985, even though most people misquote it. There have been so many iconic moments from over the years. You had Roberto Benigni jumping on chairs after his 99 Best Picture win for Life is Beautiful. And of course, that picture that has been recreated so many times, Ellen DeGeneres' star-studded selfie in 2014. And never forget John Travolta's trouble with the teleprompter. Please welcome the wickedly talented one and only Adele Dazeen. But perhaps the most talked about, jaw-dropping and infamous moment in recent Oscars history. And the Academy Award for Best Picture. <laughs> La La Land. There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. Moonlight, Best Picture. It will forever be known as the La La Land and Moonlight fiasco. And that was in 2017. It was certainly entertaining, but how about we don't repeat that this year? Of course, we've also seen plenty of meaningful history made on that Oscar stage, even if it sometimes took a little longer than we would have liked. And the winner is, well, the time has come. Catherine Bigelow! Catherine Bigelow became the first woman to win Best Director in 2010. And guess what? She's still the only one. Eleven long years later, and we could finally see the second. There are two women now in the running. Chloe Zhao for Nomadland and Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman. Not only that, nearly 20 years after Halle Berry became the first African-American to win Best Actress. It's for every nameless, faceless woman of color that now has a chance because this door tonight has been opened. We could finally see another brilliant performer follow in her footsteps. Viola Davis is nominated for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, and Andra Day scored a nomination for her first ever acting gig in the United States versus Billie Holiday. I would have never guessed that was her first. Incredible. No matter what happens, this year's Oscars are going to be unlike any that we've seen before. I know, we say that about everything this year, right? But before we go any further, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not the world's biggest film buff. I mean, my favorite film is still The Goonies. And I do love to learn something new from a powerful documentary, especially if it's about the environment, because I'm a meteorologist after all. But since the Oscar nominations were announced on March 15th, I've been getting down to business, binging movies to prepare for this podcast. And that's just it. So many of us who maybe didn't have the interest or the access, most importantly, to these films do now. So hopefully you'll come along with me for this ride. And if you're like me, maybe you didn't know a whole lot about some of the films that are in contention for this year. And that's fine. We're going to get you up to speed. And there's still more than enough time to get caught up before the awards are handed out on April 25th. 
And if you're a legit cinephile, we've got you covered too. I'm bringing in the big guns. Senior entertainment writer for the undefeated Kelly Carter. She's going to help us out. ABC News Radio's entertainment correspondent Jason Nathanson. He's going to be sharing his expertise. And my friend Janae Norman going to help us get red carpet ready. Whatever that means this year. Plus, we've got ABC News entertainment contributor, the one, the only, Chris Connolly. And let me tell you, this guy has an encyclopedic knowledge of Hollywood. And even though the film industry was thrown for a loop by the pandemic, just like everything else, he says this year's Oscar contenders are solid gold. Consider the late Chadwick Boseman and his passionate words in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. You're just taking it all wrong. <laughs> ain't meant nothing by it, Levy. Levy got to be Levy. You don't need nobody messing with him about the white. Or the quiet rumination of Francis McDormand in Nomadland. I'm just going to take a little walk. Be back soon. And on the flip side... I need everybody to be there to me. I am... A revolutionary. Revolutionary. I am... A revolutionary. There's Daniel Kaluuya and his electrifying declaration in Judas and the Black Messiah. Or Carrie Mulligan and her powerful payback in Promising Young Woman. I think you should go. But a second ago, you were determined for me to stay. You were pretty insistent, actually. I'm a nice guy. Are you? The bottom line, this year's Oscar nominations honor films and performances that are so good. You fired. You think I care about being fired? I don't care nothing about that. You doing me a favor. They surmounted a time that seemed to defy the very idea of movie going. Reporters keep asking me, really, why you do the things you do? This is what I tell them. For example, in a normal year, Andrew Day's movie debut in the United States versus Billie Holiday, it would have gotten the full Hollywood treatment. But there were no splashy red carpet premieres this year. No buzz-building box office rankings. In fact, none of the new releases were primarily viewed in darkened theaters. Instead, these major motion pictures got the small screen treatment in your living room. Thanks to a growing number of streaming services. And just when everything shut down last year, the Academy opened up. So for the first time, features from streaming services didn't need qualifying runs in movie theaters to be Oscar eligible. So that meant in the U.S. it was strictly home screens for something like Mank. That's the Netflix original, the multi-nominated one, about old Hollywood and the making of Citizen Kane from ace director David Fincher. This is a business where the buyer gets nothing for his money but a memory. What he bought still belongs to the man who sold it. That's the real magic of the movies. And that means all these great films had to compete with every kind of programming for viewers' attention. Of course, there are all kinds of household distractions. But also think about everything that's happened over the past year. There was the presidential election and its aftermath. I pledge to be a president who seeks not to divide, but unify. Your family is going to miss you, George. But your nation is going to always remember your name. The unforgettably moving scenes at memorial services for victims of racism. and the mass demonstrations in support of the Black Lives Matter movement. And of course, we've also been consumed by the pandemic, trying to stay on top of the guidance for keeping safe, watching the death toll rise, and now clinging to signs of hope for a thereafter we can enjoy. So it's been tough for movies, any movies, to break through. 
And by the way, it's not just that. The whole movie business was turned upside down. From Marvel to DC, so many attention-getting blockbusters took the year off. New York in the 80s? It's like The Walking Dead. Anticipated sequels to Ghostbusters and Top Gun. They got bumped to 2021. I have to admit, I wasn't expecting an invitation back. And so filling that entertainment void were bingeable TV series. These offerings from Bridgerton, or the Star Wars world of The Mandalorian. This is the way. This is the way. The kid's coming with me. We had The Queen's Gambit, which gave us those movie-quality production values. I'm all right. I had a good time. Well, chess isn't the only thing in life. And we got multi-part storylines with lots of creativity from things like WandaVision. But what is grief? If not love, persevering. So here's the question. After being spoiled by this explosion of pop bliss in an era that's brimming with content that's one click away from our couches, what do these nominated movies offer? I am being denied right Mr. now Shield. my constitutional you be right for Will legal you? representation. Will you be quiet? A lot. That's what I'd say. Because first off, they speak directly to our time, especially the ones chronicling events from 50 years ago. Aaron Sorkin, director and nominated writer of the Best Picture contender The Trial of the Chicago 7, made that very point. Listen, we thought that the film was plenty relevant last winter when we were making it. We didn't need it to get more relevant, but it did. Uh, really starting in May, when uh, uh, we, with the killings of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, there were protests in a dozen cities across America. And a number of those cities, those protesters, uh, were met with tear gas and, and, and riot clubs. Um, uh, and then, as you point out, on January 6th, um, a number of people, including the President of the United States, stood at a microphone and did exactly what the Chicago Seven were on trial for doing. As an FBI informant embedded within the Black Panthers, nominee Lakeith Stansfield's Judas and the Black Messiah character reflects his era. Unfortunately, history, history books like to omit a lot of things that aren't part of white history in America. But, yeah, it's a real big part of history that's often skipped over. It's one of the reasons why I wanted to do the movie to help bring the story to the forefront again. And truly, nothing's more zeitgeisty than Promising Young Woman, this daring thriller from its Oscar-nominated writer and director, Emerald Fennell. I wanted to write a revenge movie that felt, you know, female-led revenge movie that felt kind of closer to what I expect a kind of woman might do if she wanted to enact revenge and um yeah and I, and I guess the first thing that that came to me was the the scene on the bed with the guy undressing a drunk girl and she's saying what are you doing what are you doing and then she sits up and says what are you doing i just thought that you were drunk yeah really drunk yeah well i'm not and i guess that's maybe sort of distilled what everything this film is about is that is that if we if we don't um if we don't think we're doing anything wrong, why do we mind when somebody turns the light on? And don't forget about Minari. Set in the 1980s, this movie absolutely belongs to this moment as well. It's the story of an Asian-American family moving to Arkansas in search of its rightful place in our nation, with autobiographical elements from its nominated writer-director, Lee Isaac Chung. For me and my family growing up, we weren't the foreigners, you know, we... <laughs> We were, we were uh, Coloradans moving to Arkansas, and uh, we, we had our contained world in our trailer home. And anytime we stepped outside, you know, we're dealing with the other, and, and those are the people in our community. 
Um, so, so there's a, a shift in perspective there that, that I was kind of working with. And then there's Oscar's Best Actor category, where 38-year-old Riz Ahmed captures the anguish of a drummer losing his hearing in Sound of Metal. I can't hear you. Do you understand me? I can't. I'm deaf. I'm deaf. Well, you know, I think the Sound of Metal is a story that a lot of people will be able to relate to right now. It's a story of how a health crisis can cut you off from your life and your loved ones. And he goes up against 83-year-old Anthony Hopkins, who's portraying a parent losing his bearings in The Father. Something wrong? Where's Anne? Sorry? Anne, where is she? I'm here. When someone's that good, it's all you have to do is watch them and just react to what they're doing. And, uh... And he's so heartbreaking that it's, it makes my job really easy. <laughs> so that film also landed writer-director Florian Zeller a nomination, along with a Best Supporting Actress nod for Olivia Colman. Remember, she's already got a Best Actress Oscar in her house. And because it's the Academy Awards, there's joy for the nominees. Just ask Judas and the Black Messiah director and nominated writer Shaka King. It's been nuts. My mother's going crazy downstairs. You know, my dad's going nuts. Uh, it's, it's been nice. The thing about the Oscar nomination that excites me, honestly, the most is that now, you know, tons of people who didn't watch the movie, just they'll hear Oscar-nominated film and they'll watch the movie and they'll learn about Fred Hedge, they'll learn about the Illinois Black Panther Party, um, and they'll learn about this history. We're surprised Best Director choice for another round, Thomas Vinterberg. And it was a complete surprise and ecstasy when the second nomination came in because we didn't count, we, did, we didn't see that coming. Right now, it's a combination of champagne and coffee, and I don't know where that's going to lead me. How could you not root for 72-year-old Paul Racy, a lifelong performer in Chicago and a son of deaf parents, who's now a supporting actor Oscar nominee for Sound of Metal. Ah, God, I'm blessed. I couldn't be more grateful right now. I've always thought of myself as a blue-collar actor. I never gave up my Chicago accent, never gave up my day job, and I've always worked in and for the deaf community. So um, I'm just uh, feeling their support right now, and I'm just so grateful. Speak now. Speak now. And come Oscar Sunday, could be a very good night for Leslie Odom Jr., who's up for two Oscars, Best Song and Supporting Actor for One Night in Miami. I wanted to learn... Uh, how to be on camera. I wanted to learn if I could be useful in this in this medium. And thanks to Regina King and Kemp Powers and um, this film, I, I really do feel like I'm on my way. You know, it feels like a good beginning. No doubt about it. COVID changed the movies. And not just last year, but forever. But this year's Oscar films remind us why the movies still matter. In the 120-minute stories they tell, the way they leave space for our own imaginations and give us memories, too. My dad used to say, what's remembered lives. I maybe spent too much of my life just remembering. I know after Nomadland, all I need is to see a mountain, and then I'll be happy. That and talk to Chris Connolly, which we're going to do in a minute. Hi, I'm Chris Gethard, and I'm very excited to tell you about Beautiful Anonymous, a podcast where I talk to random people on the phone. I tweet out a phone number, thousands of people try to call, I talk to one of them, they stay anonymous, I can't hang up, that's all the rules. I never know what's going to happen. We get serious ones. I've talked with meth dealers on their way to prison. I've talked to people who survived mass shootings. Crazy funny ones. I talked to a guy with a goose laugh, somebody who dresses up as a pirate on the weekends. I never know what's going to happen. It's a great show. 
Subscribe today, Beautiful Anonymous. Hi, I'm Chris Gethard, and I'm very excited to tell you about Beautiful Anonymous, a podcast where I talk to random people on the phone. I tweet out a phone number, thousands of people try to call, I talk to one of them, they stay anonymous, I can't hang up, that's all the rules. I never know what's going to happen. We get serious ones. I've talked with meth dealers on their way to prison. I've talked to people who survived mass shootings. Crazy funny ones. I talked to a guy with a goose laugh, somebody who dresses up as a pirate on the weekends. I never know what's going to happen. It's a great show. Subscribe today, Beautiful Anonymous. So, Chris, every every time you're on GMA around this time of year, we see you make predictions. And that's something I love to do, obviously, more about the atmosphere. I can promise you that yours are much more accurate than mine are. That's, that's what I was going to ask. Have you gone back to do a proof of performance or like a, a check? I am so relieved that no one ever looks back and sees like what my... I realize <laughs> that in Major League Baseball, you can have a batting average of three thirty three and wind up in the Hall of Fame. That's not true for meteorologists. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I'm sure that there's been plenty of times where you're surprised uh, because this is working on subjectivity. There is not necessarily the clues or the science that always makes sense. So I'm curious, as and I know you're not going to tell me which film was your favorite, but what do you base that decision on? Well, I mean, just having covered the Oscars for a few years, you get a sense as to what movies seem to have a kind of buzz among the sort of people who vote for these sort of things. It certainly helps that at the end of the year, there are critics awards and top tens and different Mm -hmm. groups of film critics giving out awards. Then you have things like the Golden Globes. And then even as influential, you have the nominations of the guilds in Hollywood, The Writers Guild, the Producers Guild, the Directors Guild, and all of these, along with the generalized buzz maybe you pick up from social media, give you a sense as to what movies are finding some sort of traction with the sort of people who will vote for these things. And I guess that helps you to come up with uh, who you think might get nominations. Right. But even so, like you've said, there have been years where I'm sure you think you know, and then it doesn't turn out that way at all when you look at the winner. I think you saw last year... Inside the House at the Oscars, the people who had voted for the Oscars stunned and delighted to see how well Parasite was doing. Mm -hmm. Parasite's awards kept piling up. The excitement of the people receiving the awards was matched by the excitement of the people who had voted on the awards. It was one of those special moments where nobody really kind of anticipated what was happening, and everyone sort of shared in the delight of what was taking place on stage. Could there be a parasite moment? And if so, who's that going to be this year? I think that I, ever, I think everybody's kind of leaning forward and seeing. I think at this time last year or in previous years, let's say, there have been definite favorites in most of the categories. I do not think mm-hmm. that's the case this year. And that adds to the anticipation and excitement going into a show like this. Could Minari win something like Best Picture? Or will it be Nomadland? Could there be a big surprise and we see something like Judas and the Black Messiah winning? Um, Those three, I think, are certainly major contenders, as is Promising Young Woman, which won the Mm. Writers Guild Award for Original Screenplay over the weekend and really seems to have a lot of momentum, if such a thing exists, in terms of what an Academy vote might be. So there's, uh, there's... There's great uncertainty under heaven, and the situation is excellent, as the Frobber likes to say. See, I think that's the that's the hard part for me as a relative novice compared to you. Is when I'm watching a film, I think I'm if I had a vote, it turns out to be the film that I can't stop thinking about. Right? It's that one that grabbed me, yes, but it almost haunts me, and that's what I'm always looking for in great film. 
Granted, I always joke, but it's true. I still love the Goonies as <laughs> I don't know that it haunts me necessarily. <laughs> I guess it does sloth once in a while. <laughs> and it, it all is subjective because it depends on your personal connection to whatever is portrayed in the film. You know, whereas Nomadland, I felt like I was almost watching a documentary. Like I had no idea there were people that did this. So I was more in awe. And and I kept forgetting to like take in the film. <laughs> and I think you're talking about resonance, about the way that a movie yeah. stays in your mind after you see it. And one of the ways that watching a movie at home maybe is different from watching in a movie in a theater is that there's less time and space for that resonance. You know, you go to a movie theater with, you know, with your spouse or with a friend. And as you leave the movie, you're talking about it. And you're talking about it all the way to your car or all the way to the subway or something. And it stays with you for a while all your way home. And then when you wake up, it may not be the same thing when you just watch it on the living room at home. You walk into the kitchen and you make yourself a sandwich. And maybe it's harder for its emotions to stay with you in a lot of ways. And one of the questions about a movie like Nomadland is, can its landscapes and can its way of seeing the world through a new pair of eyes, stay with you at home the way it would in a movie theater. When you're saying Promising Young Woman has a shot, that would, to me, be a huge surprise. But other surprises that we've seen within nominees, if we just go back to that, uh, Thomas Vinterberg, can we talk about nominated in director? Right. You know, whose movie, Another Round, was nominated for Best International Film. This movie, when you hear it, sounds fun. It almost sounds like an 80s Disney comedy. It's kind of like, yeah. the, it, you know, it's kind of like The Benchwarmers, one of your favorite films. Yeah. <laughs> no um, way. That's so funny. My, I, Do you know that inside joke with my husband? Of course I do. Yes. How do you know all? You're like the Santa Claus of film? It's in your, <laughs> it's in your memoir. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but he now my kids love it. I forgot that I wrote that in there. You, you know that the director of the Benchwarm, the director of the Benchwarmers, it's a movie about three guys who play little league baseball, three adults who play little yeah. league baseball. You know that Dennis Dugan, the director of that movie, has a son who was in fact a baseball player and was drafted in the Major League Baseball draft. It's true. I did not know that. Thank you. I'll bring that home with me. We were we were referencing it yesterday, playing t ball in the backyard. Benchwarmers. Wow. Still don't get it, but my kids love it, and my husband can't get enough so but I love that you said that because this film does and he said I've seen interviews uh with Thomas saying we went into it with the intention of more fun and then we found this other outcome yeah for people who don't know it's a movie about four high school teachers who decide they're going to teach while they're drunk they decide that they're going to get a buzz on alcoholically speaking in the course of the workday as a kind of experiment to see if it will improve their teaching. And that's sort of the high concept of the movie. And as you allude to, things get a little dark along the way. Um, and it's interesting about this movie, which uh, Mads Mikkelsen is in it, and he's phenomenal as the lead. A lot of the movie is just a look at his face. We see so many different emotions on his face, grief, excitement, exhilaration, coming out of a shell, disappointment. He has one of the most evocative faces in the movies, and almost like a Clint Eastwood movie, a lot of the film is just that director settling in on his face and taking us through. Um, but there's another part of this story also, um, as you're probably familiar, um, the director's 19-year-old daughter, who was to appear in this film, uh, lost her life in a car accident four days into its shooting. And so uh, Thomas Vinterberg de really dedicating this movie to her 
and mm-hmm. and in a way trying to honor her spirit by everything that he did. And it just goes to show another example of the the complicated and emotional roads that so many of these movies have taken from their creation, from their shooting to this moment being honored by the Academy. And and being honored by an Academy that has broadened its membership. Yeah, it's true. And they've made a big push for more diversity and inclusion in the people who voted. Uh, and in some respects, I think we can see some of the nominations this year uh, reflecting that new voting group, those people who are more open to movies that don't come out of the traditional Hollywood that we're familiar with. Um, You look at a nomination like Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal. This is a movie that might have been seen as a wonderful Sundance Film Festival movie, a great independent, but no, it gets the nomination it deserves because this is a fantastic performance. And Mm -hmm. Promising Young Woman from from Emerald Fennell, who uh, might not have gotten the same attention and blessing that she did from the Academy in an earlier age. Maybe it would have been seen as an audience picture, as something that audiences love, but the Academy is too good for. Not at all. You know, this is both a powerful revenge thriller that's really exciting and and sparking discussion among its audiences. And if you look closely, it's kind of a look inside grief and all the ways that grief manifests itself. And so... Maybe in previous years, we would not see Emerald Fennell nominated for screenplay, for Best Director, one of the seven women in the history of the Oscars to be nominated for Best Director and nominated for Best Picture with a chance to win. I I mean, I get like chills thinking that that could even happen because the directing was wonderful. The screenplay is unbelievable. And as you mentioned, I think because I show up in disasters most of the time and I have this unique perspective of being the first person after a trauma that I get to to see into the human being at a very tender time. It is not the same as a rape, but it is um, it is kind of the n- mother nature rape, you know, in, in that way that it was, they're shocked, they have all these things, and they can't suss out in that immediate, or even in the extended future, what that means in their life. And so I think that trauma and the attention to the mental health after, including the grief and how people display or treat it, um, is so touching if if people are ready for it. And I'm so glad to hear that, that I that it could possibly win. Wow. Uh, let's talk about the show because I think the show itself we know is going to be different. It's going to be held in different locations. I, I, I mean, you know, we will await further details, as we <laughs> okay. always do. Um, but I think the action is going to be at Union Station. You saw it in The Dark Knight Rises as the courthouse, in case you're wondering what it looks like. It appears in Raymond Chandler's Fiction, it's one of those classic Los Angeles places, and I think that's where the nominees will gather. That's where the thing that you think of as the ceremony will take place. You know, they certainly got three terrific producers this time, right? They have Jesse Collins, who's, you know, did the Super Bowl halftime show, who's done the BET Awards, and who's also, you know, involved in story as well, who did the new edition story for BET. Um so he's got major experience in something like this. Steven Soderbergh is one of the key filmmakers of the last 25 or 30 years, a guy who, in addition to doing really commercial movies like Aaron Brockovich and the Ocean's Eleven movies, always wants to test himself somehow. You know, he shot a movie called Let Them All Talk that takes place entirely on the Queen Mary II it came out this year with Meryl Streep and Diane Weist and uh, Candace Bergen all improvising their dialogue. And he shot it himself while being pushed in a chair around the deck Ooh. of the ship. 
Um, he shot another movie called High Flying Bird entirely on an iPhone. So he doesn't mind a challenge. Yeah. I actually once appeared in a movie of his, or sort of did. He did a movie called Traffic. And he won for it. Yes, he did. I, but my scene was cut from the film. Oh. So I walk into the Oscars that year, and the first award is for editing, and Traffic wins. And I turn to my <laughs> wife and go, that was me. They cut me and they won. <laughs> And you're welcome. That's right. And you are welcome. And let's not forget. Let's not forget among the producers, Stacy Share, who is fantastically talented, who worked uh, with Jersey Films on some of their best movies, like uh, like Reality Bites, like Man in the Moon, and who worked with Quentin Tarantino on films like Pulp Fiction and The Hateful Eight. She is phenomenal, and so. Those three major minds putting things together understand that the key to the evening is going to be stories. They're going to have people tell the stories of their narratives from from page to stage to the moment when they walked into the Oscars. And um, and like everybody, I think they know that emotion and spontaneity make award shows fascinating. And in their letter to nominees, the three producers very much outlined, you're asking, can this be safe? And we say, yes, it can. Their intention is to treat the Oscars that takes place there as though it were a live movie set and to have all the COVID precautions and the testing that you would expect on a live movie set and to do a ceremony that doesn't involve people zooming in, but that involves live, in-person, you know, exciting reactions, um, uh, you know, from the nominees and the presenters. You, you, you know, be there or be square is the, is mm-hmm. the stamp on the invitation this year. But I love that some of the big names have skipped it in past. And and seeing Elizabeth Taylor, I, I don't know that I was surprised by that. I didn't know that one. Uh, the Catherine Hepburns. I guess it's the um, it's the will. I have a three-year-old who has – he's a willful child, I believe is what we're supposed to say. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> do you get to a certain point in your career and you're like, I'm good. I've had enough? Or what What were the reasons? How do you skip the Oscars? You know, that's the – you know, the, the what's thrilling about the Oscars is that it really is Hollywood's prom. And so all the people who are so cool under so many exciting cinematic situations get as nervous coming down the red carpet at the Oscars as all of us felt at our prom. Uh, and, yeah, some people don't feel like it, you know. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, Eminem, I think, didn't turn up, right, uh, uh, one year and then came yeah. back years later. Uh, they were the famous people who won and weren't there. George C. Scott refusing to attend the year he won for Patton. Marlon Brando sending Session Little yeah. Feather to accept his award for The Godfather, you know. <laughs> um, but, it, you know, Michael Caine was shooting Jaws 4 in the oh, Caribbean. No. Can you believe that? Like, what would they it feel like to be watching out? at home? <laughs> hey, guess what? Jaws 4 is not going to win. So if you could just make your way over here, that'd be <laughs> So like, no, I can't make it. I have to shoot Jaws 4. I think Sophia Loren was on bed rest with the son who produced the movie that she's in this year uh, when she won. When she won for Best Actress, she was on bed rest because uh, she was pregnant with the son who many years later has now done a movie in which she stars that's nominated for Best Song. So there are lots of reasons sometimes why you can't make it. Um, and it's not yes. always what you well, would that prefer. makes sense. Right. Okay. I'm, I'm going to let that one go. <laughs> but uh, now the big talk in the last two years, not having a host has kind of made the headlines. Are we over it now? Do Are we like, we don't really care if there's a host or not? Or do we know any? Do we have any indication? 
The last two years have been without a host. There was some sense after last year that, that hosts do help. Um, <laughs> it's not an easy gig. We know that. Some people have done very well, and some people have found it very challenging. No. I, I know a lot of people will say, never. Absolutely not. Not only am I skipping the Oscars, I'm definitely not hosting, <laughs> I think, because it is, it is a thankless, thankless job. In the, well, unless the you, part. you know, it, it wasn't for Billy Crystal, you know, like Billy Crystal yeah, like, was just thrilling and people everyone. loved him. And, <laughs> you know, I think Whoopi was great. You know, there have been excellent hosts throughout the years. But yeah, it's a hard gig. All right. Well, Chris, thank you so much. This is I could speak all day about this because I have a lot to learn, but I am almost done with every film, I think. I mean, not all of the subcategories and such, but I'm getting there. You know, I think the idea was, and I think what people are worried about is, are these films just good for me? Like, is that why I'm watching these, that they're good for me? I like all this entertainment stuff. Are these movies good for me? And I guess what we would agree is these movies are good, period. Yes. They're just fun to watch. Like they have meanings and they're powerful, but they are fun to watch. And I think people, you know, who explore the nominated pictures this year will discover that that's the case. I think that's true. And I'm glad you said that because this is what Ben and I do on a Friday night is not that he always wants to watch bench warmers, but he's much more of a I'm ready for my brain to take a break. I need some entertainment. I'm like, let's watch the Dust Bowl and see, get some Ken Burns in. Like, that's how we're, we're 180 degrees. These films, I think, do do them both. And we have had a great time watching them together. And at the end, I think we both feel uh, entertained, but also informed. And I think that's a big win for me. I think that's fantastic. You know, you know, when those rabbits show up in the Dust Bowl, I mean, it's off the chain. Oh. It's like it's like the fire in Minari. You like the movie. Yeah, comes I don't to need it. much. Yeah. I just need some really long, drawn out, beautiful pictures and teach me something. It would be called one of the most environmental catastrophes of the century. <laughs> that's well done. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Jim. Go watch the Dust Bowl, everybody. <laughs> I really could talk to Chris forever, but we can't. We got more to get to. Coming up on Inside the Oscars. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Billie Holiday. Reporters keep asking me, really, why you do the things you do? Kelly Carter's candid conversation with singer-turned-actress Andra Day and why she almost turned down the starring role in the United States versus Billie Holiday that has earned her an Oscar nomination. <laughs> I was like so scared. I was, I just, I was like, nope. Why would we throw me into something that we can all be sure I'm going to be terrible at? <laughs> B, why would we remake Lady Sings the Blues when Diana Ross killed it? Who the hell is going to re, why would we retouch that? I don't even want anyone to. And then C, I'm a huge Billie Holiday fan. Like, well, I don't, now I'm going to be a stain on her legacy. Like, that's three strikes. This is out. You know what I mean? I was like, we're done. <laughs> She'll tell us how portraying this American icon changed her understanding of history. Because I've sung Strange Fruit before. I pre-recorded it before we got to set and did the movie. But it wasn't until I was on set that I finally felt a sense, a real, like, visceral sense, primal even, sense of urgency. And it was the first time that I hated the song. That's all coming up on the next episode of Inside the Oscars. And if you like what you've heard so far, please rate, review, do it all. And thanks so much for listening. Inside the Oscars is a production of ABC Audio, produced by Matt Wolf. Our executive producer, Liz Alessi. Special thanks to Josh Cohan, Trevor Hastings, John Green, Taryn Hartman, Beth Mullen, Carrie Strasberg, Elizabeth Russo, Hale Areno Thiel, and Stacia Dashishko. And a big shout out to ABC's entertainment booking team. 
Cleo Andriatis, Monica Escobedo, and Eric Jones. Our legal and standards partners always keeping us right, Ian Rosenberg and Kimberly Brown. And thank you to the Academy. Ha, never thought I'd get to say that. I'm Ginger Z, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>